We're going to take our offering. Uh, if you're new, my name is Ryan, and uh, I'm a pastor here, and we're just grateful you're here. Um, and as that goes by, just I want to continue in that thinking about gratefulness. So uh, last fall, I, I, I warned you that at times we were going to do more well, at more times, we wanted to be more participatory as a church. So get ready. Because I'm going to, I'm just, I want to continue that theme of gratitude. And um, I was just thinking about this because um, sometimes it's really hard to keep that in mind. So I'm going to just throw out, like, what, I just want you to, yell stuff out, okay? So if you're a yeller, or you can elbow the person next to you that is a yeller and you can, they can yell for you. What are you grateful for right now? A new house. A new house. Life. Fantastic. Life. Life. Live in life. The love of God. Specialists. Spatulas. Spatulas. Spatula, no joke. Family. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Water. Water. Two answers at once. That's what I'm thankful for. So I didn't, spring. spring and coffee. coffee. Anything else? Those are good answers. I think so often we, you know, we don't, we're not in the habit of shouting out what we're grateful for. And that's part of worship. A few months ago, we had a guest visit our gathering who was familiar with this church 25 years ago. The church that used to meet here. And he uh, pulled me aside after with tears in his eyes. And he said, I've always prayed that there would be life again in this building. And he turned and he saw kids running around and you know how our kids all eat the tops of the donuts off and um, <laughs> they're running around and people are talking with each other and, and they're just, simp- for him it just seemed like a warmth of the body of Christ in this place again. And that warmed my heart. I was grateful to hear that. And at the same time, I also know and hear stories of loneliness in a crowd and difficulty connecting and feeling um, on the outside looking in. And so what I wanted to do for two weeks Um, is to talk about this idea of generous hospitality leading up to an event we are doing at the end of the month on April 30th. So two weeks from today, we, you're not going to see chairs like this. You're going to see a whole bunch of tables and we are going to have breakfast together. We are going to eat together. We are going to table fellowship together. We call it church around a table. And I am, I'm thrilled. It's one of the things that we love and we want you to be a part of. 
Um, you need to register for it. Other than that, we want you to be here. Um, it's a potluck style thing, but leading up to that, I want to talk about what it looks like to be the kind of community that is, practices generous hospitality. And Romans 12, so we've been in a series in Romans before Easter, and we will jump back into it um, full on at the beginning of May. But in Romans 12, 13, it says, we are told to share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Now, that's a quick little line, which is kind of interesting. It's broken up into two different things. The first one is share with the Lord's people who are in need. So there's this emphasis on people who are a part of the family of God. And then the second part of that is practice hospitality. And there's actually a whole big Greek word study we're going to do on that next week. But this week we're going to focus on this idea of you before me meaning as the people of God, as the church, the idea is to become a community that meets the needs of each other in very, each other in very tangible, emotional, and relational and spiritual ways. That I make room for you, that you make room for me, and that we have this intentionality about hospitality together. Now, if you are sick of the word hospitality, as we talk about it a lot, um, get over it. <laughs> because it's literally, uh, we want it to be in the DNA of our community. And so we're going to keep talking about it and we're going to keep practicing it. Because the current against it in our culture, in, in our internal lives is heavy. It's, it's, it's a heavy current. So internally, we all have wounds and fears and insecurities and fear of people we don't know and groups we don't know. And we're afraid even of church people. And if you haven't been afraid of church people yet, um, you will be <laughs> at some point. <laughs> So we have the internal thing going on. Then we also have the cultural thing going on. Very individualistic culture. We talk about this all the time. A consumeristic culture. Um, and, and, and it's very difficult for us to get out of that flow and make hospitality an intentionality. And so last week was Easter. And we had a wonderful time together. But the thing is that if resurrection actually happened, then everything should change because of that. This idea that I kind of share with you, this kind of analogy of being pulled instead of being pushed. This idea of pulled people, if we're pulled people, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, I can go back and check it out, but resurrection people grow in this area. Resurrection people have a different outlook on what it looks like to interact with people. And God showed hospitality to us. And we practice it on each other for the world. 
John 1, uh, 1 John 4.12 says this, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Now, here's the thing about hospitality. There are degrees of mastery when it comes to hospitality. And you may think to yourself, I'm a low, low degree hospitality person, and that's okay. But the goal is, as a church, that we want to make hospitality a practice. In a practice, what a practice does is a practice makes what you're practicing more of a default. It makes it more of an automatic response in your life. That's why we practice. So the goal is that hospitality would just begin to happen naturally that it would become more than just like something that we we have to get really ready for, but it just becomes a natural expression of our apprenticeship to Jesus. In fact, it's one of our values. I'm going to throw this on the screen. It says, we value hospitality and we offer belonging to people wherever they are in their belief or non-belief. It's an intentionality that we want to have towards each other. Now, Why we call this generous hospitality is that generosity, I think, is at the core of it. And when we begin to push in in hospitality, what happens is we experience compassion for other people. We experience compassion for each other. We begin to hear stories. We begin to hear hurts and wounds and things like that. And it gives us a greater sense of compassion for each other. There are so many of the letters in the New Testament where you hear a phrase that kind of goes like this. We have heard of your faithfulness, right? And there's something about the conversation between the people of God that is really powerful. These are stories that are passed along. So when you hear Phoebe come to the church in Rome, my guess is she didn't just deliver a letter from Paul and read it out loud and kind of answer questions about it. My guess is she also told the people stories of how the church in Centrea was doing, how the church in Corinth was doing, stories of their faithfulness, And what happens is, is when we hear those stories, it takes the suspicion and the fear away. 1 Peter 3.8, so in all these passages I'm sharing with you, these are different letters, 1 John, uh, 1 Peter, um, we're going to get into Ephesians a little bit. These are all letters that sprinkled into all of them is this idea of intentionality around the people of God. In 1 Peter 3, it says this, Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. And these just seem like little kind of one-off little commands that don't seem much to us when we're reading. But this idea of being like-minded and love one another, that love one another is actually this it can be translated more of a familial love, like a brotherly love. And I was reading a commentary the other day, and it's by this, uh, it's out of a commentary for First Peter, uh, Karen Jobes, and she says this, the emphasis on brotherly love 
often falls on love rather than, than on brother, which sometimes leads to a misunderstanding that affection is more important than the resolve to do right by others with whom we are substantially related by faith in Christ. We talk about this all the time. But when it comes to following Jesus, you don't choose your family. You just have your family. (laughs) Now, it's a little harder, um, it's a little easier, I guess, to choose your family in our day and age. But when you think about when Romans was written, we've shared this before, there were five house churches in Rome. And if you had an issue, if you had a difficulty, if you weren't experiencing brotherly love, where would you go? You had no other alternative. This was your family. This was your community. This, you had to work it out. And what she's saying here is that this resolve to do right by others with whom you are substantially related by faith in Christ, that's the issue. That's the intentionality. That's the, that's the real work. So what does it look like to become generous people? I've been having these little conversations with folks in our church about our posture towards people in our community. And um, so you may get a phone call. You may, may, you may not, but you might, to sit down and have these conversations. And one of the, the things that, I, I, that keeps coming up in me as I have these conversations is, I don't want people to think about our church brand, right? Um, I want people to think about our people. Meaning, I want the impact in our city to be because you and I practice hospitality. Not because of our church brand or slogans or which we have both right behind me, or, or whatever, or a t-shirt, or some stickers, or whatever. I want it to be about how we treat each other. Next week, we're going to dive into the Old Testament a bit, but the New Testament gives the same calling and the same two essential reasons why you and I, as followers of Jesus, should be generously hospitable. Paul is writing uh, to a group of Christians in Ephesus. And he sums up his argument by reminding them that they were once stuck. They were once stuck in a pattern of thinking and living. They were once a group of people who were being pushed. And they were basically the diagnosis that Paul uses. They were dead in their transgressions. This comes out of Ephesians 2. He says this, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. This is what we call divine hospitality. This is what we call this hospitality that's Jesus as the divine host who extends hospitality to sinners and outcasts and strangers and thereby, and thereby draws them and us into friendship with God. 
that God's embrace of humanity into friendship with him is the ultimate form of hospitality and welcoming. And in Ephesians 2.13, if we skip a little bit, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were you once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You have been pulled close. And then he goes on to say this, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Saying we were total strangers to God. We were as far away as you could possibly be. We were aliens to God and stuck and being pushed through life is what Paul is saying. We were a stranger to God and a foreigner to God and as we could possibly be. But, but despite this, God welcomed us in. He ex- has extravagant hospitality towards us. Freed us from the push. Took us in as members of his own family. We were outsiders, but now we have been brought near. And just, and not just near, but inside Christ. Like that is Paul's phrase all the time, in Christ. Like we're not just near, we're in Christ. And that is what we are called to do with each other. To show that kind of hospitality, that kind of welcome, as Paul says in Romans 15, that God accepted us, you know, so do the same to others. We're called to reflect God's character, to be imitators. We're we're supposed to mimic God. We're supposed to mimic Jesus in this regard. So you see, divine hospitality does not end with your experience of God's hospitality. It doesn't end there. It actually just begins. It, it, can, it elicits a human hospi- hospitality response. And our friendship with God is the foundation for our cause and friendship with one another and with the other, which we'll talk about next week. So we've been talking the last few weeks in this church about two postures. One posture is kind of on our family here and how you and I are trying to present each other, as it says in Colossians, complete. And we can't do that if we don't know each other. We can't do that if we don't share meals together. We can't do that if we're not in each other's lives. And there's two postures. The second posture is our posture towards the community, the city, and the world. And here's what I would say. We're not one or the other. We have to be both. In fact, I think that there's some churches that have a posture of just them. Like, we just need to take care of us. It's us against the world. 
And then there's uh, an equally dangerous posture that just says we're all about meeting the needs of the world around us and we're not growing or stretching or maturing. Generous hospitality is like an all-inclusive thing. It's generous with our things. It's generous with our money and our time and our attention. It's generous with our emotional connection to each other. It's generous with our presence with each other. It's generous with like hearing each other's stories. Um, Angela and I have been listening to a podcast and it's been really good for me. Like, like how, how well do I actually listen to people? Turns out not that, I mean, <laughs> not that good at it. And she made the point in this podcast that usually when we listen to people, we're either dealing, uh, we're struggling with some internal things, like the things I fear and the things I want. And sometimes when you listen to somebody, you're not really listening to them. You're actually just listening for ways, you're just thinking about what you're going to say next and how you're going to respond. And like, what would it look like to be the kind of community that practiced like really listening and hearing people and hearing each other? There's a story of a guy named Aristides of Athens And Aristides of Athens was a follower of Jesus that had the ear of the emperor. This is about 125, early 2nd century. And there was some debate as to why he wrote this, what he calls the apology. And he wasn't trying to say he was sorry. An apology was more of a defense. And he wrote a defense to send to the emperor at the time. And scholars are kind of iffy on whether it was because the emperor was going to do some heavy-handed punishment towards the people of God, or if um, the emperor was wrestling with his belief in the other gods and how does this Jesus fit into it. But... I'm going to throw this on the screen because this is really, really interesting. He's talking about the followers of Jesus in this little community. He says, they walk in all humility and kindness. Falsehood is not found among them, and they love one another. They do not despise the widow or the grieve the orphan. He that has distributes liberally to him that has not. If they see a stranger, they bring him under their roof and rejoice over him as if he were their own brother. For they call themselves brothers, not after the flesh, but after the spirit and in God. When one of their poor passes away from the world and one of them sees him, he provides for his burial according to his ability. And if they hear that any of their number is imprisoned or oppressed for the name of their Messiah, all of them provide for his needs. And if it is possible that they may be delivered, um, they deliver him. 
And if there is among them any man who is poor or needy, and they have not an abundance of necessities, they fast two or three days so that they may supply the needy with the food they need. And they observe scrupulously the commandments of their Messiah. I'm going to just ask you a question. In your life of following Jesus, has this been your experience? Aristides' apology. Has that been your experience? My guess for me is less so than that. George Barna did a, um, he wrote a book. He studies the American church. And he wrote a book called The Second Coming of the Church. And he does a lot of research and data and surveys and things like that. And as he was writing and preparing this book, he said that most people prefer a variety of church experiences rather than getting the most out of all that a single church has to offer. He says this, think of that spiritual enlightenment that comes from you know, the diligence, he says, of discovery process. Basically, he's saying that people in America really like to learn facts and read books, and their commitment to faith is kind of based more on a cerebral conversation than it is on embodying what they believe. People view religion as a commodity or a product that we consume rather than one in which we invest ourselves into. Think of the difference there. It's something you consume, you pick up, you put away, you set aside, you pick up, you put away, you set aside versus something you just invest your life in. And then he just throws out this idea that we're also very transient. Not that you're a transient, but that we move around a lot. That we move cities, that we move churches. And it's hard to really get into something. Now my question for you is, what does it look like to get more committed to each other? To adopt a posture of you before me. For all of us. Now here's the thing. We're all in different places. But we're all somewhere in the process. Some of you are in this room with real healing that needs to happen. With real wounds. With real fears. And so it's difficult for you to let people into that. And I totally get it. It's a hard thing to say as it goes against all the good and bad church planting stuff that I was trained with, but I just want to say this, that it's, I am more interested in our church becoming deeply connected, intentional, and generous, and and hospitable with each other 
than I am with us doubling in size. I would love for more people to be a part of this community. Don't get me wrong. But I would love to be a community that is maybe could be written about like Aristides. I would love that a whole lot more. And I use this quote a lot. So it's a guy named John Tyson. He says, a Christian community in a web of stubbornly loyal relationships, knotted together in a living network of persons in a complex and challenging cultural setting, who are committed to practicing the way of Jesus together for the renewal of the world. That is what he calls a creative minority. Like we, if you follow Jesus, like really practice the way of Jesus, you are a minority. Even in the midst of all the data that says how many people go to church and how many people say they're Christians and whatever, practicing the way of Jesus is a minority culture. It is, it is against all the individualism, all the stuff that you and I face. And we have to get really creative about it. Otherwise, and intentional, otherwise we are going to miss out on this kind of alternative kingdom that Jesus has on offer. And so maybe for you sitting here today, uh, maybe just a simple thing is going, I need to know somebody else in this room. <laughs> like, I really don't know anybody. And that's, we get it. It's hard to know people. Maybe as simple as um, stepping out and, and asking to sit down and have coffee with one of the leaders in our church. They can hear your story. You can hear them. To feel connected. Uh, maybe for some of you, you've been in these chairs for a long time and you just have, like, I need to take another step and, and push in a little bit more. And maybe you want to have a conversation about becoming a member here and just saying, like, I'm going to give of myself for this community. Maybe it's simple as getting involved in this community and serving our kids downstairs or um, serving in this setting. Maybe it's about just pursuing people and having people over to your home around your table, asking them about their life, hearing about your life. Maybe it's about practicing generosity in your life. Maybe there's a lot you've held on to in your life and you want to practice letting go of it. Your things. We have an opportunity to serve a, an Arvada a high school family. And if you got our newsletter, um, it came on Friday. A single mom, three kids. Uh, she's moving into a new place. You know how much expensive it is to move and to like fill your pantry again and do those kinds of things. And and they, our high school reached out to us and said, hey, can you help? And so there's a whole list. Some of you brought things today. We actually need all that. If you're going to donate something by next Sunday, not the 30th, but on next Sunday. What does it look like to be generous with our things? 
What does it look like to be generous even in your uh, commitment to this family in giving? But I think table fellowship is not the only model of hospitality, but it is one of the main ones in Scripture. And we, we joke with this all the time, but if you read any of the stories of Jesus, Jesus is either going to a meal, coming from a meal, or at a meal. Or, and I would add, talking about a meal. <laughs> he uses language like the, a banquet. And inviting, God is inviting people to his banquet. And that should just be more and more, I'm convinced of it, as resurrection people, that has to be more and more and more the DNA of our lives. Is table fellowship with people who follow Jesus and people who are strangers, foreigners, far from God, on the, on the outskirts, on the, on the margins of our lives. And I think that what's, what's really one of the things that I've been messing with in my own mind and heart, and I've shared this with you, most of my Life in following Jesus has been from the neck up. <laughs> it's been very cerebral. I, uh, the different things I've been a part of in my life, even seminary, have been learn right things about God. But I think following Jesus is a head-to-toe thing. And getting my body to follow my head is a very difficult thing at times. Some of you it's not. For me it is. Sitting in stillness, praying, fasting, doing these full body worship, singing worship uh, with not just my mouth but my limbs, shouting out gratitude, welcoming a stranger. These are embodying our faith. This is what a whole embodied faith looks like. I uh, heard, a, uh, watched an interview, and don't freak out, between Ben Shapiro, okay, <laughs> who's a, a practicing Jew, and Russell Brand, the comedian. And they had like an hour and a half interview. And Angela and I were just talking about this the other day. And Russell Brand asked Ben Shapiro about his Jewish faith and what the difference was between a, the Christian faith. And it was really fascinating. And I'm not going to get it all perfect, but ultimately what Ben Shapiro said is Jewish people embody and practice with their whole self. Feasting and praying and the different things, Sabbath. And he's like, sometimes I just feel like the Christian faith is just all up here. And so what really does come first, right? Is it, it's like a chicken or the egg thing, right? Is it just thinking right things and then maybe doing them? Or is it actually doing them and then believing them? 
But I think in the area of hospitality, I think some of you aren't convinced. So my encouragement is to do it. Practice it. Try it. Act on it. See what happens. See, we're not a pray a prayer and go to heaven one day when you die church. We're a resurrection church. Meaning the resurrection now invades our lives. And that brings new life. And so I've got some questions for you to think about. I don't know they'll be on the screen. I, hey! Some of you to take pictures of the questions. But there's two ways to do this. You, three ways. You can write them down furiously to think about them later. You could take a picture of them with your phone. Or you could just hit that QR code around the room and, and you can get everything you need. But I would encourage you today is the QR code because I want to hear from you. Like if you're here today and you're like, I just want to know people. <laughs> Or I want to serve somewhere. Or I want to begin to, uh, I want to find a, a community that meets weekly within this community. We would love to hear from you. I don't know what your next step is. It's going to be different for everybody. But what does it look for, like for you to step towards this idea of generous hospitality within this community? Let me pray. God, this morning we follow the, the, the wonderful news of the resurrection. But we just are convinced that it doesn't stop with just believing that it happened. That it actually should have some effect on our lives. It should have some impact on our relationships and how we see our time and how we pursue each other. It should have an impact on that because we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here and we have so much to offer in the way of where you're taking this world. And so, God, I don't know, there's places in our lives that resist this, that resist being known and knowing others. There's places in our lives that have just been wounded by the church. But you want to heal. You're the great healer. Would you show us this morning what our next step is? And like you, we read in Peter, would you make us like-minded in this? Would you make us like-minded in pursuit of each other? That we would not just meet each other's financial needs, although that is very important, but my, my guess is in this room, God, there is much bigger needs than financial. That there is loneliness, there is hurt, there is, there is grief, there is fear, there is not being seen, there is all the things that happen in a very individualistic society that has a lot of ways to distract ourselves. There's so many needs in this room. 
Would you show us how to meet each other's needs and love each other deeply as if we were stuck with each other like family, like siblings? And God, if there's anything in this room that needs to get resolved relations, relationally or reconciled, God, would you, would you stir your spirit to, to awaken those places in our lives that have to get dealt with? Because we are resurrection people. Show us a way forward. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's stand. I'm going to send you. My prayer for us, church, is that we would blow each other away by our love for each other. That we would be uncomfortable with how much we've experienced the love of each other, the pursuit of each other, the intentionality of each other. And may the world watching see this strange little group of people and be curious about the God who loves them. We pray these things in your name. God, amen. Amen.